Life is a journey from one place to the next, always in continual motion. Some seasons are filled with awe and wonder, while some are filled with hardship and pain, each step more difficult than the last. Still, the journey doesn't end. It's always moving forward. You find strength in your feet striking the pavement, one step at a time, as you become closer and closer to your destination. All the while being guided by this still, soft voice that says, keep going, we're getting closer, you're almost there. Good morning, church. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Uh, like Joey said earlier, um, Father's Day is a big deal uh, for a lot of people um, and for different reasons. And, and uh, it's a big deal for me. Uh, I, it's always an honor to come up here and, and bring the word and to preach and to talk about Jesus and to talk about our Heavenly Father uh, who's good um, and loving. And despite how you grew up and despite how your dad uh, may be, God is a good dad. Um, God loves his kids and he loves each and every one of you guys in here. And so Father's Day is a big deal because I get to talk about my heavenly father. And uh, that's an awesome thing for me. And uh, also my dad's here. um, So that's a big deal. And he was great when I was growing up. He was always there for me and in a lot of different ways. And um, and also because it's I'm a father. So I have two little girls and love them dearly, love them to death. and, And it's always a joy to be uh, with them, and I'm excited about today spending a little bit of time with them. And so, uh, happy Father's Day to all of you, and uh, we're going to get started. So, these past few weeks, we've been talking about taking ground, this new series that we're talking about, and we've been in the book of Joshua, and today we're going to be talking about uh, out of Joshua 5. And so, I kind of want to set that up for you just in case you've missed the past few weeks or uh, you just need a refresher. So, Joshua uh, is set right after. Um, they're, they're about to walk into the promised land that God had promised them nearly 500 years ago uh, when he promised Abraham that he would bring he and his children into the promised land. And so in chapter 1, we see that Joshua is, is called uh, by God to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Moses has just died in chapter 34 of Deuteronomy, and that's a huge deal, big deal, because everybody put a lot of faith and trust in him. And and here comes Joshua, who's kind of his predecessor, his uh, successor, and and you know he's kind of new at it. And anytime you're new at something, there's always a little hesitation, I'm sure. And so in chapter one, God calls Joshua to lead the Israelites, and he tells him three times to be strong and courageous because the task that he's about to go into is a big deal because they're going to do a lot of battles, they're going to have to fight and take the land. That's hence our series, taking ground. And so in chapter two, Joshua sends two spies into the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. And in that, uh, they return and they say that the people of Canaan, all the kings and all of the people are just melting in fear because of all of the news that God had uh, parted the Red Sea and all of these miracles that God had done. They were just melting in fear. They had no spirit left in them is what they they said in chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, God parts the river. And they walk across on dry ground. This is the second time that God's done that for them. And so in chapter 4, Brandon talked about last week, uh, God called the Israelites to set up memorial stones so that they could remember, but also that future generations could remember God's faithfulness to his people and how much he loves them. And so 
that brings us to chapter 5 today. And the big idea that I want you guys to write down in your notes, on your arm if you don't have notes, on your phone if you don't have a pen, or whatever device you've got, is that God has a better plan. Okay, write that down. God has a better plan. So with that, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for today. God, I thank you that for your son, Jesus. Um, I thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. God, I thank you that he is the one that gives us life, Jesus. And I pray that this morning that these words would sink deep in our hearts, God, and that they would uh, take root, Father, and they would produce fruit in our lives, Father, and that they would produce obedience, they would produce acts of obedience in our lives, God. And I pray that you would take these words that are coming out of my mouth, Father, and that you would use them to draw people closer to you, God. We love you and we thank you so much for today and for your Holy Spirit who is welcome here. God, we love you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, who's ever made plans to leave for vacation? Yeah? Good. Vacation's fun. Uh, Now, who has ever left on time for vacation? You guys are impressive because that never happens at my house. Two weeks ago, uh, we left on vacation at the ground, uh, right after the groundbreaking. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we had to come down and, and, and uh, change our plans. And for me, I, I'm a really, I can be sporadic, but I, but I also enjoy routine. And I also enjoy being places on time, which having two kids and a wife, it's always difficult to get anywhere on time. And uh, some of you parents or uh, husbands can understand uh, and sympathize with me on that. Um, sometimes it's my fault. I'll give, I'll give her that. Sometimes it's my fault. But a lot of the times we just got so much luggage to pack and so many things. And, and if you have children, you know that they need an enormous amount of stuff. And you don't use half of it when you bring it. But two weeks ago, we, we came and, and we did the, the groundbreaking. And, and after that, we had to come back and tear down some of the church. And it took a whole lot longer than, than I'd anticipated. And, and if you're a parent, you know, you try, and, um, you try and structure your travel times, or at least it's a good idea to travel your, uh, your, your tra- uh, structure your travel times around their naps. Because it gives you, you know, I have a five-year-old and she's always asking, where are we going? Are we there yet? Why? Why are we doing this? Why are we turning this way? Why are we turning that? And so nap time gives us a little bit of peace and quiet, just to be perfectly honest. And I I have a one-year-old and she's, you know, babbling and stuff like that. So it just gives us a nice smooth ride. However, last Sunday or two Sundays ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. We had to to spend some extra time here tearing down. And so that kind of pushed our... Our, uh, our time that we were planning on leaving back a little bit, but we had to leave by four because we were going to eat dinner uh, with her parents down in Hilton Head. And well, we got through tearing down about 3.30, which means I got home around 3.45, which means I had 15 minutes to remember everything I needed to bring. And if any of you have ever tried to rush packing an entire vehicle for four people for an entire week, chances are you're going to miss a few things. Like I did. So I missed a lot of stuff, forgot a lot of stuff. And, and uh, you know, like for me, like I said earlier, I'm a bit sporadic, but I'm also, uh, I like structure. And when things don't go according to plan, I kind of get a little frustrated, slightly impatient. And when I say slightly impatient, I mean highly impatient. But 
Isn't that what we typically do when our plans change? We get frustrated, we get impatient, and if it has anything to do with God, you know, it's a big deal. Especially if he's, you know, if if our life isn't going according to plan. And in Joshua chapter 5, if you look at it in context of the entire book, it kind of seems a little out of place. Reason why is in verse 1, we hear about, and I'll read that in a minute, we hear about how all of their, the, land, uh, the people in the land of Canaan's spirits are just melting. Their hearts are melting. They're scared and they're afraid of this impending invasion of the Israelites. But in verse 2, God calls them to wait. And so we were singing that song, You'll Come, and, and it talks about, uh, I'll wait on you, Lord. And that's, that's what God called the Israelites to do. But often when we respond with frustration and impatience, um, it's, especially with God, it's, it's saying that we don't trust Him. And that we don't um, believe that His plan is any better than what we can come up with. And often our impatience with God is a direct result of our unbelief and distrust of God and His plan for our lives. So let's, let's read that. Let's go to verse 1 in chapter 5. And it says, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Now pay attention to the last part of that verse. It says their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. And like I said earlier, this wasn't the first time that Joshua nor his people had heard that the people of Canaan were afraid. We see it in Joshua 2, chapter 24, or chapter 2, verse 24, and it says, And they said to Joshua, these are the spies talking, to Joshua after they've come back. And it says, And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So the people in Canaan, their morale was down. And if any of you guys have ever played sports, whether, you know, uh, softball, baseball, soccer, football, whatever it is, when the other team's morale is down, what do you do? You capitalize on it, right? You, you rally your troops, I played baseball for a few years, not many, but a few years, and whenever we were down, we would pull out the rally caps. Any of you guys remember the rally caps? We would take the cap and we'd fold it in. This is the way that we did it in Statesboro back in the 90s. You'd fold it in and then you'd turn it, flip it up to where the bill's facing straight up and you look like a shark. It's awesome. But that was, that was our rally caps. And so the morale was down in the people of Canaan and surely the Israelites attitudes were really high. They were just like, yeah, they're down. Let's go attack. Let's go do this. And let's take the land. But what does God do? God tells them to wait. God had another step that they needed to take before they moved in. A next step, if you will. We talk about next steps a lot here. Well, for the Israelites, they had a next step as well. So let's read verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. And let that sit for a minute. So Joshua fainted. I'm kidding. 
So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel. (laughs) Key point in the Bible, always keep reading. So for most of us, that would probably be really frustrating to hear. Is God, this, this probably would be mine. Uh, my prayer back, my response back is, God, that makes no sense whatsoever because their morale is down. It's time to go. We need to attack. Why do you want us to be circumcised? This is ridiculous. This is going to take a few days, if not a few weeks, to heal from all of this. And it's going to hurt. And it's just going to be awful. Why do I need to do this? And so, but that speaks to me and, and to sometimes my lack of trust in my unbelief. And so the thing that I do want you to know today is that I'm not up here preaching at you like I've got this figured out. I'm in it too. And this is a struggle for me to figure this out as well. But what did Joshua do? Joshua didn't respond that way. How did he respond? Verse 3, it says, So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel. It didn't say, So Joshua pleaded with God to do something different. It didn't say that, So Joshua ran away or fainted or do anything like that. Immediately, he just responds. And the thing that I want you to understand is why he responded that way. He responded that way because he trusted God. He had faith in him. And so the thing that I want you to understand is that faith, we talk a lot about faith and and what that looks like, but faith is an actionable trust in something or someone. Meaning that when I trust this person or this thing, I act in accordance with what either the particular scientific law or with what God says. So... When I trust something, I'm going to act based off of what he says. So faith says, regardless of what I see, I'll do as you say. Joshua believed that God was stronger than the people and the fortifications in Canaan. Flip with me to Numbers chapter 14. And I want to read to you why Joshua felt this way. And show you how Joshua felt this way. Joshua, or, uh, Numbers chapter 14, verses 6 through 9. So, let me set this up real quick. This is, um, this is about a year or two after the exodus uh, for the people of Israel. God has redeemed them out of Egypt, and they are walking towards the promised land. And this chapter is significant because this is when the people start grumbling. This is when they start complaining and they start uh, really rebelling against God. And Moses has already sent spies in. He sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan to do the very same thing that Joshua did in chapter 2. To go and survey the land and to see if it was suitable, if it was the promised land and what the situation was because they were going to go in and take the land. And so... The 12 spies come back. Ten of them are like, no, we don't need to go in there. Their people are really strong and their cities are super fortified. We'll never break through. We'll all die. And two of them say, let's take the land because God is on our side. And so those two people were Joshua and Caleb. And so let's pick that up right here in verse 6. And it says, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of him who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, 
The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel. This is Joshua and Caleb speaking to the Israelites. Do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So Joshua has an immense amount of faith because he's remembered the Red Sea. He's remembered how Moses struck uh, struck the rock and water flowed from it and how God had provided manna from heaven to fall down and to feed the Israelites. So Joshua knows all of this stuff in chapter 5. He understands and knows that, that God is a good God and he's going to bless them as they take the land. So Joshua believed that God had already delivered them into his hands. His faith in God in chapter 2 translated into an act of obedience in chapter 5. And so the thing I want you guys to understand this morning is that God sometimes places us in opportunities of faith. And the reason he does that uh, is so that he can strengthen us, he can grow us, and also so that he can set up memorial stones like Brandon talked about last week in our lives so that we have something to remember his faithfulness in times of trial, in times of struggle, in times of uncertainty. God will place us in opportunities to where, that require faith so that we can become obedient to what his plan is. And the thing that I want you guys to remember, again, the whole thing about today is that God has a better plan. So in chapter 5, even though God is telling them to wait, there is a better plan than the one that looks like it should work. And the, so I want you to turn with me again, uh, well, not again, but to Isaiah 55, because I want to show you um, why God has a better plan. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is able to see so much farther in the future than we could ever see. God is able to know everything that's going to come to pass. And so the thing I want you to understand this morning, the reason we should trust him is because he already knows what's going to happen. There's security in that. There's comfort in that. That's the reason we should respond and be obedient to what he asks of us and to listen to him and to trust him when he tells us to do things that don't make sense. When we started this church, it didn't make sense because there was like 119 churches in Bullet County alone. And Brandon's, I think Brandon's response to the, to the first time that God said something was like, this is the last thing we need. But, not my will, your will, God. And the same thing Jesus said in the garden. We started this church because God told us to. It wasn't because we wanted glory. It wasn't because we wanted fame. It wasn't because we needed another church. It was strictly because God told us to. And the hundreds of salvations and the hundreds of baptisms that we have now seen five and a half years in prove that God always has a better plan than what we can come up with. So back in Joshua, the big question here. Why 
did the Israelites need to be circumcised? Let's read that in chapter, or chapter 5, verse 4. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that He would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom He raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Remember how I talked about earlier in verse 2 when it said a second time and I told you to always keep reading? Verse 7 is the resolve to verse 2. Because when I first read that, I had to take a break for a minute. Because when the scriptures say, a second, circumcise a second time, that'll take your breath away just quickly. But you've got to keep reading. Because verse 7 was talking about how it was their children, not the people who were redeemed from Egypt. Because they perished in the desert. Because God told them in, in uh, Numbers 14, He told Moses, He said, because of their rebellion and because of their disobedience to me and their unbelief, they will perish and not inherit the promised land. And so it was the sons of those men who God needed to circumcise. Second thing I want you to write down. When God has a plan, we can be sure He's already prepared the way. So when God has a plan, we can be sure that He's already prepared the way. And so God's plan in all of this was to fulfill his promise to Abraham, like I said earlier, almost 500 years before, by bringing his people into the promised land. But in order to fulfill his promise, the people who are at Gilgal, which is the spot that the Israelites are currently in right now, they had to be his people. And the way that it was done in the Old Testament that that symbolized... uh, the people being his was through circumcision. And so we see in the Old Testament, the circumcision was the way that it was an act of, uh, of, it was a response of trust and faith in God by those people to say that I am yours. And it was a way that God said, you are mine. And in the New Testament, we see that in baptism. Baptism is a symbol of, uh, of our dedication and devotion to Christ. And it is the way that uh, it's a public profession of an inward faith. And this was the very same thing, but it was just in the Old Testament. And so, like I said earlier, circumcision is a response to faith and trust in God. This was the way that God was spiritually preparing His people for what was to come. Because that's the big idea in chapter 5, is that God had a better plan, but there was a next step. And that next step was that His people needed to be sanctified. His people needed to be circumcised so that they would be set apart from the people that they were about to take captive. God was renewing his covenant with his people and that this act of circumcision was a, served as a reminder to the current generation of his promise to Abraham over 500 years ago. God's purpose in circumcising the Israelites was to draw his people back to himself. 
God made a covenant with Abraham a long time ago that said, you are my people and I will take care of you and I will provide for you. And the way that that his people were, were made known to be his was through circumcision. And so God wanted to remind the Israelites, you're mine. I love you and I'm going to take care of you. And it's, it's just a part of his nature to, to, to do that for us. And we, every time we have baptisms, that should be a reminder for all of us who have already been baptized of that date, that moment, that God said, you're mine. And I love you. Come to me. So there's some interesting things that I want that I want to draw out from uh, this little section of scripture, verses four through seven. Um, if you'll read with me in, in ver- the first part of verse five and the in the second part of verse six, I want to draw some of this out because this is a uh, big deal. And so, first part of five says, though all the people who came out. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet they did not obey the voice of the Lord. So here's what I want you to understand today. You can have all the marks of God. You can be baptized. You can attend church. You can attend a connect group. But still lack the response of God, which is obedience. And so we can... We can do all the right things. We can say all the right things and and look really good on the outside. But when God actually calls us to do something important and obey, often we can lack that response. And the thing that I would tell you is that that's what religion is. Religion says, I've done all the right things. And we see that in Matthew 7 where the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, we've done all these things. We've prophesied in your name. We've cast out demons. People have been healed. People have been set free. But Jesus responds to them and he says, be gone because I don't know you. Why? Why is that the case? It's because they lacked faith. James talks about it in chapter 2 in verses 14 through 26. That faith without works is dead. But works without faith doesn't profit anything. There are plenty of people here today who have the marks of the people of God, but lack the response. Faith in God produces obedience, and faith without works is dead. So, when we hear that, we should check our hearts. Where, where are we at? What's our response when God calls us to do something? When God commands us to obey? When God calls you out on the water, what's your response? Is it obedience? Or is it refusal, denial, avoidance? Our response should always be faith, trust in God, and obedience. Which is that actionable trust. Why? Because God has a better plan. And the other thing that I want to draw out from verse 6 is that it says, For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The desert and their deaths were the result of their rebellion and disobedience in Numbers chapter 14. I want you to understand there's always a great purpose and weight in in the commands of God. When God calls you to be obedient, it is not just for you, it is for the future as well. 
And we can see that in Joshua chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And it says, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So there's two things in there. He wanted all of the peoples of the earth to know that his hand was mighty, and he wanted his people to fear him. Not in afraid, like in an afraid, like fearful sort of way, but to revere him, to respect him, to trust him. God is always calling us, and God is always putting things in place and in, in our lives so that we can have a greater uh, degree of trust in him. He wants us to trust him because he wants to reveal his goodness to us. It's the whole reason he wants us to trust him is so that he can show us how good he is and so that our testimony becomes greater and it impacts more people. And there's one more thing out of verse 6 that I want to draw out. It says, in the latter part, it says, The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord swore two times in that passage, and each thing he said came to pass. So what can we draw from this? What do we need to draw from this? I want you to write this down. God fulfilled his promises despite the Israelites' sin of unbelief. Is anybody in here perfect? Nope. I'm not either. And the thing that I want you to draw hope from in this passage is that he fulfills his promises despite us. So we see that throughout this, this section of scripture where in Numbers 14, the, the, uh, the original Israelites who uh, were redeemed out of Canaan or out of Egypt and going into the promised land rebelled. But yet their sons and their daughters and their children were able to inherit the kingdom of God. And so the original Israelites' unbelief caused them to not inherit the promises of God. But God's plan was still fulfilled. The Israelites still came into the promised land. And so I want you to hear this. Your sin cannot alter God's promises. And a lot of those promises are centered around our salvation. For instance, in Romans 10, chapter 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise that God will always keep. And I want you to remember that God is a promise-keeping God. Your unbelief cannot negate the promise of God. It will only forfeit your right to enjoy it. Let me say that again. Your unbelief will not, cannot negate the promises of God. Only it forfeits your right to enjoy them. For the Israelites, now that they have healed... In uh, chapter 8, it says, When the circumcision of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. The Israelites were healed. And now, in chapter, 10 verse, uh, or, or in chapter 5, 10 verses, uh, through 12, we're about to see how they begin to enjoy the fruit of the land. 
So let's read verses 10 through 12. It says, While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate for the fruit of the land in Canaan that year. Passover was a huge deal for the Israelites at this, at this point. This was another reminder of God, of his covenant with his people. It was a reminder of bringing them out of Egypt. And they celebrated the Passover. It was an eight-day festival uh, that was commanded by God in numbers to observe and serve as a reminder of the Exodus and God's redemption for his people. And so if you're unfamiliar with what the Passover was, they, the people of Israel were supposed to gather uh, uh, an unblemished uh, uh, lamb and to sacrifice it. And then they would take uh, uh, branches of hyssop and dip it in the blood and put it over their uh, doorways, which at that point was when they were about to be brought out of Egypt and the Lord Spirit went over the land and killed all of the firstborn um, so that Pharaoh would release them. That was the, the um, kind of the final straw for Pharaoh at that point in time. And so this was a, a festival to remind them of that day. And so it was another reminder for, that God was giving his people to say, I love you. I redeemed you. Remember my faithfulness to you. In verse 12 it says, And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. So that's a big deal. Because for 40 years the Israelites have been in the desert. And they started grumbling early on saying, We're hungry. We don't have any food. All of the animals that we brought, you know, we can't kill the pack animals because then we'd have to carry all the stuff. So we don't have any food. God... Give us some food. This is ridiculous. We're walking in the desert. And so what God did is God sent manna. And this was this bread-like substance that would fall from heaven. And so, but in verse 12, it says that the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And so God provided in the manna an, an unusual supply to Israel's extraordinary need. We all have extraordinary needs. Um, in different seasons of our lives. But the thing that I want you to hear today is that God will always provide for you. And so, third thing I want you to write down today. When God has a plan, He always provides. So when God has a plan, He always provides. The thing we can draw from verse 12 is that God did not stop providing for them when the manna ceased. Why? Because they were eating of the produce of the land. At that point, they had been living off of the manna from heaven for 40 years. And then now that they have stepped foot into the promised land, God began providing for them in a different way. But it was just a more ordinary way. It wasn't extraordinary like the manna falling from heaven because they would wake up in the morning and then there would just be bread on the ground and they would gather it and then they would eat off of it but now it's just the fruit of the land it's the milk and honey it's the fig trees it's all of these things that that were present in the land and so the manna ceased but god didn't stop providing for them 
Only his provision became ordinary. So the thing that I want you to understand is that we're experiencing as a church is not ordinary. The growth that we've seen, the salvations, the baptisms, the changed lives, this is not an ordinary thing. This doesn't happen all across the world that often. And so the part that we have to play in this is an extraordinary one. For some of you, your journey to Jesus was an extraordinary one. For me, my circumstances coming to Jesus weren't that extraordinary upon first glance. I grew up in church. I got saved when I was four and have been walking with Jesus for around 25 years. But I used to always want this extraordinary testimony because I always felt like it would make a bigger impact if I was addicted to drugs or if I had gotten a girl pregnant in high school out of wedlock or, you know, if I was uh, an alcoholic or something like that. I felt like some sort of monumental, waters parting, memorial stone event would be more impactful for other people than my testimony was. But over the years, what I've learned is that I didn't need to get somebody pregnant before, wet, uh, before marriage and I, I didn't need to be addicted to drugs or alcohol for God to show his faithfulness in my life. He sustained me for 25 years and he has fulfilled the need that I had. That was extraordinary. And the thing that I want you to understand today is that each person in this room has or had an extraordinary need. We were all dead in our sin. That sin separated us from God, a loving Father who is holy. But yet we were sinful and we were unholy. And those things are like oil and water. They cannot mix. And even to an even greater degree, sin cannot be in His presence. If we're not careful, we can focus only on the extraordinary moments in life. And sometimes if you look at it like the way that I did, you don't see very many extraordinary moments. And so you can begin to live for those extraordinary ones. You can begin to live from mountaintop to mountaintop. From monumental moment to monumental moment. But what we do when we do that is that we forsake all of God's provision in between. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah meets God. And so he's running at this point from Jezebel. And he's on this mountaintop. And God calls him out of this cave. An earthquake happens, fire rages, and the wind blows. But God wasn't in any of those extraordinary events. God was in the still small small voice. God spoke to Elijah in the still small voice. And so the thing that I want you to hear today is don't keep searching for the manna falling from heaven when you're stomping on the fruit of the land. 
See God's provision in your daily life. Safety while you're driving, health of your children, picking up a paycheck, dinner with your family. Every day, ordinary things that God provides for us. Much like my testimony, that for 25 years, he's always been faithful. He's never left me. He's never failed me. God has a plan. God has a better plan for your life than you could ever come up with. As sure as I know that he has a plan for this church, he has a plan for you. And as sure as we can see that God's plan for the Israelites was better than the supposed plan, potentially of those commanders in the army who were probably wanting to be frustrated and impatient, saying, why do we need to do this before their morale's down? Let's go attack them now. Now's the time. And we live in a society and a culture that's, I want it my way now. We see it at Burger King, we see it at McDonald's and the drive through mentality that we have as a society. But God sometimes says, wait, there's something that needs to happen first. My plan is better. So for some of you this morning, you're in that position. You are just zooming at life and it's all about you, though you'd say it was not. It's still all about you because you don't listen. You don't seek God for decisions in your life. You just make logical decisions. And sometimes God defies logic. God doesn't, God's plan often doesn't make sense in our own minds. If we go back to Isaiah 55, it says, my plans and my ways and my thoughts are all higher than yours. I have a plan and it is better for you than the one that you can come up with yourself. So the question this morning is, will you trust him and submit to his plan or will you rebel, disobey, and run the other way? Some of us in this room still have that extraordinary need. Some of us have not responded to Jesus. Some of us haven't submitted our lives to him. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. It's a way of obedience. And realize that your way is not the best way. Your plan is not the best. His is. For some of you, this could be the first time that you're actually hearing that God is, exists, that He's good, that He's a loving dad. And that he has a plan for your life. If that's you in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want you to know that he does have a plan for you and that he does love you. And that he does want you to be a part of it. But you have to belong to him first. For others of you, you've known what his plan is. You've just refused to obey. Sometimes we get in these situations where we just can't see past trees we can't see the forest for the trees and we need God to help us zoom out and see the bigger picture and to trust him and to respond the thing that I want you to know is God is still calling you home and it's never too late to respond and there are those of you who are in here who would say I've had faith in God and I've done my duty I've done everything that I'm supposed to do I've attended church, I'm in a connect group and I serve on Sundays and I give financially and I do all of these things. But yet when God actually calls you to do something, maybe it's 
telling somebody about him. Maybe it's doing something above and beyond your normal task list of Christian duties. You just respond by walking away. You have all the marks of God, but you don't have the response. You don't obey. You don't listen. If any of that's you this morning, I'd ask you to stand. If you don't know Jesus and you didn't ever know that he had a plan for you, I'd ask you to stand. If this morning that you recognize that God, I've not submitted my life to you wholly, only partly. We have a prayer team over here. Um, to my left, your right, who would love to pray with you and to talk with you about any of that. So as I pray, um, if any of that's you, make your way over there. Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I pray that your word says that when we, when your word is preached, it does not return void. So God, I pray and I thank you that this morning, that this word would sink deep in our hearts, it would take root and it would produce fruit in our lives, God. I pray that as you've challenged me, that you would continue to challenge all of us in responding in obedience and in faith and that your plan is better. God, we love you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.